Twisted Sisters Crime will contain mature content, graphic descriptions, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast may upset trauma survivors. Guten Tag! Welcome to another episode of Twisted Sisters Crime. Today we're going over to Germany, so here are some fun stats for you all. In 2019, Germany was at a rate of 6,548 crimes per 100,000 people. That's all the stats they had on Statista.com without me having to pay for it, so that's all we get today. (laughs) Dang, that's weird. I didn't know that you'd have to pay for it. I was like, I'm good, thanks, but I'll take this. That's weird. (laughs) All right, then we can just jump right in and begin. I have the story of Ursula Herman. The 10-year-old girl had been kidnapped Tuesday, September 15th, 1981. She was in the Federal Republic of Germany. She was in between her cousin's house and her house, which was about a 10-minute bike ride. So about two days after her disappearance, some kind of like cryptic calls to her house were made, which was only like a radio jingle when her parents answered the phone. Hmm. After three days, a ransom note arrived at her house. Apparently, the kidnappers demanded two million and explained that the radio jingle was to like make a yes or no answer concerning the ransom payment. I don't understand how that would work. Like, you listen to the radio jingle and press one for yes, two for no. Like, I don't know. Weird. (laughs) Could you imagine, like. Right? Like, how were they supposed to know? It was just a radio jingle. What is even a radio jingle that we know of? Like,. FM 100 point... I don't even know. Yeah, radio like FM 100.3. And it's like, if you don't do the point three, it's like, oh, no, nah, I'm good. I know, right? <laughs> it's like, you, they go FM 100, and you just sit there, they're like, dang it, kill the child. <laughs> <laughs> Ursula's mother confirmed the next day that the ransom would be paid, but heard no communication from the kidnappers. It wasn't until Monday, September 21st, she received a letter regarding the ransom money payment, instructions, and like an unstated location. Once the ransom was raised, no further instructions were given. So, so she kind of like, how do you like raise ransom money? Do you like do a GoFundMe like help my daughter's kidnapped? Well, in like <laughs> 2021, yeah, but in 1981, like, I don't can know. you go to the bank and be like, can I get a loan? Because like governments don't want to give in to demands, so they'd be like, no, right? But like, could you go to your bank and be like, please? And they're like, all right. Maybe the republic, <laughs> the federal republic, like was bigger, and so people were just more willing to help give if their you've money. If ever that? had to raise a ransom money, please let us know how. I really want to know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I guess in 2021, you could just do a GoFundMe and be like, my child's missing, help me! Like, (laughs) makes sense. They would keep playing this radio jingle and it's so annoying! (laughs) Help me get the millions! (laughs) Two weeks after Ursula's disappearance, a grid search was undertaken in the forest where she had disappeared. After about four days of searching, police found Ursula Herman's body Um, dead in a box buried in the woods. The box measured 72 centimeters by 60 centimeters by 139 centimeters. It was furnished with ventilation, food, lights, reading material, a radio, and a toilet bucket. But the ventilation pipes that had been provided did not allow like sufficient air exchange because it was covered in leaves. 
So they like put her so, in this box thinking that she would survive. Yep, exactly. They that really did. really small too. I mean, it kind of was. I do have pictures that you guys can go check out on our website that you can look at these. Kind of weird. The wet leaves and no forced air movement. Um, it didn't provide like sufficient air. So the girl did suffocate in between five sorry, 30 minutes and five hours after she was placed in the box. Well then, so she, like, <laughs> she really They didn't. weren't even playing the radio jingle yet and she was gone. Yeah. I mean, they probably didn't know that she was dead, though. Yeah. Probably. That's probably why they were, yeah. like, they, she got the money and then they're all like, okay, um, and it was, like, a minute before they responded. They are like, crap. I know, they're like, she's oh my dead god, now. she's dead. What do we do? <laughs> The autopsy results indicated that she had not struggled or moved during her time in the box, so that she probably had been drugged. Makes sense. The box was too large for one person to have transported to the site. It weighed about 60 kilograms, and the police assumed that more than one person had been involved. So tips kind of led to a Warner Masarek. I don't know if that's right at all. He's a 31-year-old television repairman who was a neighbor of her family, and he had also known to be in debt. After a day without recalling his whereabouts, he eventually offered his alibi that he had been, he had been playing risk with his family and two friends. Bro. So, <laughs> his story checked out. Nevertheless, he was arrested in January 1982 and questioned for several days before he had, he had been released. Investigations revealed that he had skills and motivation, but he didn't have the alibi. Like, his alibi checked out, so... I mean, risk with your wife and two friends, though. Like, they could lie for you. Exactly. I mean, you guys would lie for us. Heck yeah. We'd lie for like, you. Yeah, they were totally playing risk with us all night. All night. She moved countries. And I was mad at her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> However, a friend of his, Klaus, stated to the police that he had been hired by him to dig a hole in the forest. Also, he could not recall in the forest where he had dug the hole. And he also couldn't take police to the site, so kind of later recanted his statement. The case had stalled with no progression until 2007. That's kind of with the 30-year statute of limitation approaching. He was placed under surveillance, and during a search of his house, police confiscated tape recorders. Police developed a theory that the tape recorder had been used to play the three jingles in the calls to her family's house. Him and his wife were arrested on May 28, 2008 and charged with the crime. However, by this time, Klaus was dead. The 2008 trial introduced Klaus's statements as forensic evidence and that the tape recorder found at his house could have been the device used to play the radio jingles and the call made to her parents. He was convicted and sent to life imprisonment, but his wife was acquitted. Kind of sad. Mm -hmm. In 2015, 
a civil action was brought for damages by Ursula's brother, Michael. Michael had expressed reservations about Warner and used the proceedings to re-examine the case. So in 2018, the court effectively affirmed that the criminal trial verdict and awarded um, her brother, Michael, partial damages. So going back a little bit, a trial began in February 2009. The police presented evidence like prior with legal difficulties, including like a 2004 fraud conviction and animal cruelty of Warner. It was established that he had the means to construct the box and that he had listened to police communications during the search and that he was in fact in debt. Surveillance showed that Warner had discussed the statute of limitations with a friend. Bro. So he kind of knew about this case and was like, yo, like it's almost been 30 years. It's like, almost 30 years. I'm going to get off 30 years the and one day I'm going to tell you that I did it. Right? <laughs> so it was a Grundig model TK248 tape recorder. Kind of was the subject of an elaborate forensic report. According to the report, the tape recorder had technical abnormalities which were identifiable in the jingle codes that appeared the recorded phone calls to Ursula's family. Prosecutors also included Klaus's abortive confession with the testimony that Klaus had been deliberately misleading and that he accurately described the box and its burial site. So police kind of like twisted his words and was like, "Yeah, because he He's like recanted now, it." So we're basically. gonna like make him seem like he did say this. So the evidence was entirely circumstantial, and the tape recorder's distinctive noises when played were emphasized by the prosecution. Now, Warner maintained that he had bought it at a flea market the week before the raid at his house but there was no corroboration from the seller that could be found. Interesting. <laughs> the defense examined Klaus's statement and revealed that Klaus's confession that had not been recorded, it had just been written down by investigators weeks later and he'd never signed it. Oh. Right? Wow, good job guys. They were like, we're gonna try and take advantage of the stud guy. And just write this. At least I didn't forge a signature. I'm surprised they didn't, considering all this crap. <laughs> right, right. So Ursula's brother kind of took extraordinary measures of making like a written statement to the court, stating that the tape recorder analysis was incomplete or one-sided. So the Augsburg public prosecutor demanded a sentence of lifelong imprisonment. The criminal court that was only composed of three judges and two jurors found Warner guilty and on March 25th, 2010, Warner was sentenced to life imprisonment for extortionist human robbery and fatal consequences. Like I said, his wife was acquitted. Ursula's brother Michael brought a silver brought a civil case before the district of Augsburg against Warner in 2013. 
demanding 20,000 euros in compensation because he had suffered sustained damage to his health throughout the case. Michael had become increasingly convinced that Warner had been wrongfully convicted and unlike the faulty evidence and the court action would be a means of re-examining the case. So the case came to a trial in 2016 despite opposition from the judges who were aware of Michael Herman's like motives in the proceeding. The trial continued for two years. The evidence debunking the tape recorder analysis was introduced along with the forensic analysis of the ransom note that had concluded that the author of the note was an educated native German speaker who was pretending to be a foreigner hmm. and that the writing could not have been produced by Warner. The case was concluded in May of 2018 with the verdict that ordered Warner to pay Michael Harriman 7,000 euros. In doing so, the court effectively affirmed that Warner had kidnapped Ursula Herman. So kind of in like my research of doing this, I was like, Michael kind of seems like, why would he really be convinced that this Warner dude did not do it? Yeah. You know what I That's mean? That's what I keep thinking is why is he like... He didn't do it. He didn't do it. Yeah. But kind of crazy. I mean, I've heard of like people being like, yo, he didn't do it. So let's look at other people. Right. Let's not stay so focused on this guy. But he just completely was like, no, not him. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Kind of sus. A little weird. A little weird. Okay, so mine takes place in a city that I don't know how to pronounce. And so Google Translate is going to tell us how to pronounce it. Cool. So let's see. Schloss Holten-Stutenburg. Schloss Holten-Stutenburg. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in that city in 2018, an employee of this place called ARI Armaturin, um, he found a white powder on his sandwich and kind of ignored it. He thought, I don't know, maybe like accidentally put some powdered sugar on it. I don't know. But he was just kind of like, whatever. It's just a little bit. It's cool. <laughs> But then the next day he came back to work and, you know, he knew that there was nothing on his sandwich. And when he went to lunch, he found it again. And so then he got suspicious. He went and brought his food to management. And this was in May of 2018. And so when the management saw this, they then decided to install a secret camera into the break room to see if anything was happening. Hmm. Once they put this camera in, they saw a 57-year-old Klaus O, who, Klaus O is not his name, but they can't release it for some reason. Okay. So, that's his name according to everything is Klaus O. Gotcha. Um, so, he had worked there for 38 years, and they found him dusting this unknown white substance on co-workers' food. He would go and meticulously like unpack their lunch, dust a little bit of the little powdered sugar thing, put it all back in a way that you would not know that someone had touched your lunch, you know? Put it back. Sneaky. Um 
so they were all completely flabbergasted. Klaus was described as quiet, he would just wear his headphones and just get the job done. Um, he didn't ever have any problems with co-workers and actually was known to help those that needed help when the time came. It was actually described by one of his co-workers that there was never like any personal conversations over coffee, but at the same time, mm -hmm. he never fought with anyone. So they're like, what the heck is he doing? Mm. So police were called and they found the a small bottle with white powder on Klaus's person and sent that to the lab immediately. They then went to search his house where in his basement they found a chemistry lab with lead acetate, cadmium, and mercury. The sandwich powder was found to be lead acetate which would cause severe damage to organs. It is almost completely tasteless. It might have a little bit of a sweet taste but like that's if you have like a completely clear taste bud and you're like Gordon Ramsay, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which he wouldn't eat it, but whatever. <laughs> and it was completely toxic. So this company realized from 2000 to 2018, 21 completely healthy employees had suffered and died. And now these people were in question if they were victims and were poisoned by Klaus. Oh my gosh. So... <laughs> Rather than exhuming all of those bodies, they decided to interview three former employees who got extremely sick, but they were still alive at the time. Two of these people were found to be suffering from extreme kidney damage from their consumption of the lead acetate and still faced the risk of getting cancer. The third employee had gotten irreversible brain damage and was in a coma Dang. since 2016. And then in January of last year, in 2020, it was revealed that after four years in a coma, he did die from the poisoning. Um, yeah, that's sad. What? <laughs> so now Klaus potentially has 22 dead people under his belt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so then Klaus was charged in 2018 with the attempted murder of the three people that were still alive at the time. Um, it was possible that they would exhume the bodies of the other 21 employees in the future, especially as the families of these victims explain their sickness that led to their death in a way that is consistent with the heavy, with heavy poisoning from the lead acetate. And with the death of that one guy that was in a coma mm -hmm. recently, they really are like, yo, let's go exhume these guys. Seriously. So, Yeah. <laughs> Klaus had absolutely no empathy or remorse and was seen with an unknown motive. Um, he was merely curious as to what would happen to people when they consumed this. A judge described him as a scientist with lab rats whenever they discussed the poisonings oh with him. Seriously, though, like, that's really what it is. Yeah. He, like, cooked up this concoction and was like, let's see if people notice. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna be discreet and be like a Jeffrey Dahmer and kill these people. And yeah, no I don't know. Like, that's wild. It, uh, that's why I keep my lunch at my desk in a lunchbox and it's like in my drawer. I don't leave it out for people. I don't trust anyone. <laughs> I don't work enough to take lunch to work. So in November of 2018, Klaus was found guilty of all three attempted murders and was ordered the maximum life in prison. This is kind of weird though, because in Germany, mm -hmm. this usually means that they're in prison for about 15 years and then they're eligible to be released. Huh. And I was, this part I watched in a YouTube video and at first I heard 50, like 5-0, and I was like, okay, makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then I thought about it and I re-went back and I put on the closed caption that said 15, like 1-5, and I was like, bro. 
Really? That's a joke. <laughs> um, so he was ordered to maximum life. Mm-hmm. But in Germany... That's only 15 years. That's really only And then you can go years. and be released. If he... Okay. Yeah. If Damn. he's... It's like being what eligible for parole or whatever. But anyway. So a forensic psychiatrist did recommend um, that he stay in preventative detention since after those 15 years, Klaus would be 72 years old and he would still be a major threat because, I mean, he doesn't care. <laughs> That these people are dying. Right. He thinks they're just his little lab rats. So that's all that was really found on him because, I mean, they didn't even release his real name. So I don't know how yeah. much they would really release about him. But Right. Yeah, kind of scary. If you have white powder on your sandwiches, don't eat it. Don't eat it, guys. <laughs> so I have a kind of crazy random fun fact. Ooh. It's about me. I was born in Germany. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. Don't even play with so me. So here's my birth certificate. We're not going to put this on the blog, but I guess. We won't it. put the certificate on the blog. You just have to trust me. Dude. But I was born in Germany. Birkenfeld. Why my, the heck were your family in Germany? My dad was in the military. He was an you army. Can't, you can't be a president. I can't. Nope. Oh, no. I mean, there's different like weird laws about it. Like, some people say I technically have dual citizenship because I was born in Germany, but my two parents were U.S. citizens. Mm -hmm. So I have, like, a like a consulate report of my birth abroad. So I am, like, technically... I am technically an American citizen, but people say, too, that I could also technically be a German citizen. Well... Germany sounds like a place I don't really want to go anytime soon. I mean, you were born there. I mean, <laughs> it's and your honestly, fault. I'm like sketchy about it. But <laughs> honestly, though, nowhere is safe in this in this whole world. There are freaks everywhere that want to harm anyone and everyone. Seriously. So with that happy thought, feel free to go on to our blog, TwistedSistersCrime.com, to find our photos we talked about and sources for this episode. See you guys next week, and remember to stay smart, stay safe, and stay twisted! Twisted!